Welcome to Mom and Doc Talk, a podcast for health-conscious parents where you get the perspective of a mom and a dad who's also a pediatrician and pediatric emergency physician. Instead of Googling your way through parenting and hoping for the best, get trusted guidance and be the empowered, savvy, and decisive parent you know you can be. Sleep easy when you follow advice tested by doctors and tried by moms and dads. Here are your mom and dad hosts, Dr. Christopher Haynes and Azure Sullivan. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Mom and Doc Talk. This is Dr. Chris. Very excited to have you guys tonight, and I'm here with Azure. Yeah, hi, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about summer safety, and you'll probably hear some fireworks out in the background. It's right around July 4th, so happy 4th of July to everyone. I hope everyone is enjoying their summer and going on vacations. Um, it's very, very easy to forget about summer safety. And this is the season as a pediatric ER doctor that I see injury after injury, and much of it is preventable. So what's been going on with you, Azure? Well, the heat's been going on. It's been pretty hot lately. Uh, it's been a little busy, planning a little, couple little trips for some of the holidays, and uh, kind of focusing on taking a break, since that's what summers are for, right? That's great. I agree 100%. What about you? Uh, lots of work. Uh, it's been hot. I agree a thousand percent. Um, but you know, as I said, we're starting to see all these kids come in with all these injuries. So something we're going to talk about today. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm really excited. So what's the number one that you think is something that we really want to tell everybody or kind of run through I, I top think, priority? I think if we talk about anything, it's probably injuries first and foremost. And when you say injuries, I feel like that's such a broad term for you, especially in the ER. So when you say injuries, what are you thinking off the top of your head? Well, let's talk about the seasons, right? Okay. So in the winter, what do I see all winter? I see coughs, colds, congestion. Everybody comes in with exactly the same thing. Um, as a pediatric ER doc, I much prefer the summertime. Um, there's a lot more variety, but injuries... Um, you have bicycle injuries, you have skateboard injuries, you have kids on roller skates, on scooters. Trampolines. Trampolines. On My least favorite is monkey bars. Yeah, I've heard you say that and many times. <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd remove them from every playground. <laughs> and, you know, I think the things that are really important to talk about first and foremost are helmets. And it's very easy. I had a, a young person the other day that had a head injury and they didn't have a helmet on. And I had another kid with exactly the same mechanism and had a helmet on and didn't have an injury. And I think it's it's challenging. I think when kids are young, parents really stress helmets. And as they get to that teen those teenage years. Like when they're able to ride a bike, they're like, Oh, you've got this. Yeah. And then and then you don't need a helmet. Multiple kids, you forget about the helmet. And you know, I, I feel like an ogre when I walk into the room when I have a they call it quote unquote minor head injury where they've, you know, hit their head but not passed out. And I walk in and the first thing I say, Do, do you have a helmet on? And they look at me sideways. And I said, Do you have a helmet on? And they look at me sideways. And I'll ask them three or four times and then I look at the parent, do they have a helmet? And about 90% of the time, they do have a helmet. It's not being put on their child. Or they're not just not wearing it. No, they're not wearing it. And it can happen in a blink of an eye. 
And think about it. You're on a bicycle, you're doing 15, 20 miles an hour, and God forbid you fall off of that. You know, not only can you get broken bones, but you can really badly hurt your head. I, I once heard somebody, you know, I like to kayak, and I've heard somebody say, you know, why do you need a helmet while you're kayaking? It's not like there's anything like you're going to fall on concrete. And oh. it's something, again, one of those things you don't really think about. Like, oh, yeah, you can hit your head. Yeah, you roll your kayak and hit a rock. Absolutely. But people don't think about that next step after that. I did see someone on a scooter the other day. He was kind of young and he was by himself and he was wearing a helmet and it was one of those like motorized scooters. And I was like, oh, wow, good job. Good job. Yeah, I, I jump for joy when I see when I hear a kid that tells me he was wearing a helmet and especially the older kids. And we always say, you know, we get lots of skateboard injuries all the time, really usually bad ankle injuries, and occasionally we'll have clavicle injuries, and sometimes they hit their heads. Now, I want to ask, actually, our listeners, uh, of those listening, do you have a helmet? Do you ride a bike? Do you have an activity that you think you should be wearing a helmet but aren't? I like to think to ask myself, like, hey, should I be wearing a helmet during this activity? Should I be wearing a life vest? Should I be wearing something? I always ask that safety question. Would I be doing this with my child? Would I not let them wear a helmet? So sometimes I like to reverse the question on adults because just like you said, as people get older, they have a tendency to not use helmets or utilize those safety precautions as much. And many people that are older didn't grow up wearing helmets. That too. So I believe, and this is my opinion, and I think a lot of people would agree, as a, as a parent, it's really important to mentor your children and show them a good example of wearing a helmet. Good example for me is I grew up skiing and never wore a helmet or a baseball hat. We didn't wear helmets. They weren't available. We didn't get them. We skied. We never had an issue. There were lots of people that hurt themselves along the way. I still ski with my children. I wear a helmet every day. And the benefit is it's warmer. So there's, you know, if, if you're going to really, really focus on safety for your kids and really try to help them. And, you know, a lot of times you think, well, it won't happen to my kid. Um, it can happen, like I said, in an instance. So helmets are really, really important. And, and if you, and didn't you say before, like, not to interrupt, but sometimes like the, the, the injuries that are the scariest, you don't even notice. Like, let's say they hit their head and you don't even notice that they had a concussion and then they go lie down and... Um, I don't think so. I think that a lot of times you really do know. And the things that we really look out for, you know, if your child hit their forehead, didn't have loss of consciousness, is acting well, has not vomited, you're probably okay. You can talk to your pediatrician. If your child had loss of consciousness, is altered, is not acting well, um, we use something called PCARN guidelines. They're collaborative research network guidelines that we use in pediatric emergency medicine. And we actually use an app. And it's an under two app guideline and an under or greater than two guideline. And it shows us what are the risks. Two years old. So under a greater, greater than two and less than two. And it really guides us on who we CAT scan. You know, we have parents that come in that a child will just bump their head and they want a CAT scan. And I think it's important. I don't think we've talked about this before, but there's studies that show that CAT scan exposure for a young child can lead to cancer later in life. So what we're balancing as pediatric emergency physicians is what's the risk benefit? You know, what am I gonna pick up? And is there something that's, we call it a, a clinically important traumatic brain injury. And one of the most important things that we worry about as physicians when we think about this risk benefit ratio is we don't wanna put your child at risk and we wanna 100% rule out a head injury. And that's really what this study has done. 
Yeah, so I just want to stress again, wearing a helmet is so, so important. And uh, thinking about that, other injuries, trampolines, uh, those monkey bars, or backyard uh, backyard play areas. Yeah, definitely three areas that make me very nervous. And so let's start with monkey bars. You know, we Your see- Your favorite. They're my least favorite, and you'll get a big eye roll when I hear they're my favorite. Um, But kids get on them, and it's typically kids that are grade school, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. It's summertime. They're unsupervised, and they're going from rung to rung to rung. They develop that upper body strength where they're able to do it, and they can get up at a height. You know, Some of them are six, seven, eight feet in the air, and what happens is they fall back on their arm. Their bodies swing forward. Your legs are swinging forward as you're going from rung to rung. You miss a hold. You miss that grip. And you hold with one hand. You release with the other. You fall back onto your arm. And what really happens is that the bone in your elbow works like a can opener. And it can lead to a devastating injury. And it's called a supracondylar fracture. Many of these kids are out of commission for four or five months. Um, They need pinning. Um, So legitimate open surgery would would need to happen you know what i love when i go to the playground with my daughter is seeing those monkey bars that are in that enclosed cage like shape do you know what i'm talking about yeah it's, I, I think they're monkey bars i right? mean they are monkey bars but i mean they're like are you talking about like a circle like a dome it looks like a dome but skinnier and sometimes they do have those large like circular half moon yeah um but what i mean is i see them super tall like i'm talking I don't know, 15 feet, like they're tall. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it, it they're really tall. They're like a couple parents high. And I just see these these children that are climbing them and they're in the, definitely the age range that you just specified. And, you know, they're climbing at all different tiers of this dome-shaped monkey bars. And all I'm imagining is this domino effect of just ping-ponging down if one one kid from the top falls down, especially if you have like a little kid just passing by, not even on the monkey bars, and somebody falls, they just topple right on top of that young child. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, again, being a kid, but the types of shoes that they're wearing at the playground and on the, the monkey bars as well. I see them in flip-flops or sandals in some, in some way, and I, I think that a lot of that comes from just not being prepared being, to go on the, the monkey bars. Just in general, you don't want to be, I mean, you don't think about their shoes before you go. You throw them together and throw them. Let's go to the park. Yeah, let's go to the park. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting when you talk about height is we have guidelines when we call a trauma. And what I mean by that is when you're in the typical emergency department, you're just going to be seen by me. And if you meet what we call trauma category or trauma criteria, we will alert it as a level one trauma or a level two trauma. Most places have two different types of trauma. Sometimes there's level three for different circumstances. But in most level two criteria, it's two to three times your height as a child or 10 feet as an adult falling. You're going to be alerted as a trauma. What happens is you're going to get an entire trauma team because the risk of injury is so much greater that you need more people around. So it's really important as you go back to the shoes, you go back to a kid being fallen on, it's about supervision of that young child. It's also about supervision of the older children. Um, And as you started with, 
I would eliminate all trampolines, to be very honest, if I could, just because we've seen so many devastating injuries. One of my co-fellows that I trained with was actually doing research on how to prevent those injuries where she was looking at can they put, you know, tires that have been Shredded tires. I've Shredded seen that. tires put underneath them. Can they put mulch? What are the things that will decrease those injuries? Because, look, we don't want kids not to play. We're the last people to not to have kids play. We want them out off their iPads, you know, really, you know, exercising and being healthy. Maybe standing beneath them when they're on the monkey bars. Yeah, supervising. It gets back to very, very the same concept. And it. we'll talk about drownings a little, little later, but it's supervision. It's really keeping an eye on your child. And unfortunately, we have a child that will come in, you know, a couple nights a week, you know, five, six o'clock at night with some sort of monkey bar injury. And with monkey bars or other at-home play areas, I love the trampolines. Uh, A lot of people have trampolines, especially now. Summertime, everyone's buying a new one. The pool, the trampoline, they kind of go together. Well, before we go to trampolines, I want to tell you a story. And... I have broken several bones in my lifetime, and I will never, ever forget. I was, as a kid, I was into Superman. I ran around with the Superman cape on all the time, and I remember having a swing set in my backyard, and my best friend and I would swing, swing, and we'd jump off of the, uh, off the swings, and we were not supervised. And at one point, I put a towel about 20, 30 feet away from the swing, and I decided I was going to swing as high as I could, and I would try to jump headfirst onto this towel like Superman. Well, I broke both bones in my arm, and it happened very quickly. So it can happen. I, again, wasn't being supervised. There's nothing my parents did wrong. I was right in the backyard, and they were in the kitchen right above me. But it can happen in an instant. So talk about trampolines. You know, when I had young children, I wouldn't say young, they were probably grade school. I was very much, you know, the pediatrician and, you know, the pediatric ER doctor. We can't have a trampoline. We can't have a trampoline. And a trampoline showed up for one of their birthdays. So, you know, it's a struggle. But Azure, what do you think? You have young children. You know, would you buy your child a trampoline? Instinct says no. I wouldn't. Why? I wouldn't for so many reasons. But mommy, I want one. I know, I know. And would you let your kids go over to another house with a trampoline? So that's the thing. You really can't prevent everything from happening to them, right? You can't? You can't. I say no. There's so many reasons why. One is just, what about this big bouncy elastic thing? You're going to go high in the air and you're going to come down and you just be guaranteed that nothing is going to happen. The likelihood of you being injured so many ways is so high. You can, you know, obviously fall off, go through the netting. You can have a cut or go through the the springs on the side. You can fall onto the, the hard ground, break a ton of bones. There's a lot of neck injuries, back, falling backwards. Um, There's so many things that can happen. I'm just totally against it. And the, the other issue is, yeah, if you, they have a friend, they may or may not tell you, right? Um, you may hear after the fact. Uh, and there's only supposed to be one child at a time on a trampoline, but you know, there's almost never no, the whole neighborhoods on the, the whole neighborhoods on the trampoline, and they're under it too at the same time, playing that little game that I know you've heard of, and it's just you're not going to be able to prevent everything, but to really talking to your child. I, I think it's as we go through this, and we've done many, many podcasts now, that I don't want us to come off as no fun parents don't go play 
we certainly want our kids and we want your kids to have fun, but we want to give you some actionable tips to really keep your kids safe. And this is just a high-risk summer activity. It really is. Oh, so finish your story about, so a trampoline was brought into your home and? I, it was there and it scared me half to death. And fortunately, no one got hurt. I was always concerned about a neighbor child jumping on the trampoline. I when see we you there, there blowing a whistle with the string around it, like am, a phys ed teacher. I am not that much of an ogre, uh, but I have to walk away. <laughs> I don't want to even watch. But let's talk about some of the tips that you can, as a parent, what are some of the keys? And I know one one big tip, not to cut you off, but one of the, the biggest things that I think that I know you have a list in your brain, but I think one of the things that people forget is that trampolines, especially in Pennsylvania, they get left out all year round and they go through all the seasons. And that means snow, cold, hot, extreme hot, rain, all these things. And it can deteriorate the uh, elasticity of the trampoline, can do lots of things to it. And it really kind of ruins the integrity of it. And I think checking that regularly is very important, but I think a lot of people don't check it and then you end up going through it or worse. Yeah, we see injuries every year. There are head injuries, there are neck injuries, there are fractures of upper extremities, lower extremities. And we see lacerations like you talked about from not checking and having metal sticking out or the net rips and people go through the nets. Um, but most commonly, like you talked about, injuries occur from having more than one child on the trampoline. They also, and I've seen this and I've not seen any literature published about this, but we've all talked about it as colleagues. Kids are going through the netting, um, either through the door that wasn't properly zipped. Um, and I can count 20, 25 kids that I've seen in my career that have gone through the netting. Um, but it goes back to the thing that we've talked about already. It's supervision. It's making rules and really you know, setting those rules ahead of time before summer starts. Some trampoline tips that will really prevent injury with your kids are never really let more than one child use a trampoline at a time. Kids under six should really never be on a full-size trampoline, maybe a smaller one with some good supervision. Don't let kids do flips or somersaults. This is where we see the neck injuries and the head injuries. Um, make sure that you don't have a trampoline without safety nets, and it should be around all sides of the trampoline to prevent falls. And really move the trampoline away from other play areas, away from pools. Um, we've all seen, you know, the videos of kids jumping from trampoline to pool, from house, from a oh, window, from, from a deck. It was not me, <laughs> um, but I'm sure we've all seen that. And again, it's about supervision. And moving, you know, again, hills, uneven uh, grounds, definitely one of the things to avoid as well. Uh, kind of transitioning from the trampolines and staying in the backyard I like to think about things that we don't really think first as kind of a common injury during the summertime, grills and lawn equipment. So I really want to focus on grills first. Chris, what are your thoughts about that? I immediately think about making dinner yesterday and looking at the temperature on my grill of 600 degrees. And I've been fortunate to be able to take care of kids with burns and to really help those kids for a long time. But exposure to 600 degrees, even with a touch, can cause second and third degree burns and can cause damage immediately. So what's the key? It's a couple things. One is keep the grill away from play areas for one. 
and then create almost like a no wake zone around there, like in a boat where you can't drive quickly in a certain spot. You really need to prevent and keep kids away from that. And especially when kids are mobile, you know, young toddlers will easily get in the way. Uh, We see burns from not only thermal burns from touching it, but we also see kids will bump it and things will spill off. A piece of meat will come off. Liquids will come off. That grease catch. Yeah, exactly. And you're also, you have propane tubing that's going there and connected and you can unattach things. There's lots of risk of fires, explosion. You want to really keep kids away from that, especially young children. Going away from the grill, which is great tips. Nobody really thinks about, oh, wow, yeah, that's probably extremely hot. Uh, Wait, hold on one second. So you, 600 degrees, you get a burn, third degree, second degree. What happens with a third degree burn? So you get this in the ER. What do you do? So I think it's important to talk about all three types of burns. And we're going to talk about sun exposure in a little bit. But just getting red skin is a first degree burn. Um, Sunburn, like a mild sunburn. It's very similar to a sunburn. And secondary burns, we've kind of gotten away from what secondary burns are, but they generally have a blister. And they are superficial partial thickness burns or deep partial thickness burns. And we can differentiate by the way we look at it. The deeper ones tend to look more white, which means there's less blood flow. And that's after we've taken the blister off and we've looked at it. Third degree burns are down through the dermis and they're into the deeper tissues. And that can include muscle, fat. These are significant, significant burns. Um, Typically though, with, with a touch, you're going to pull away immediately and you're either going to get a first degree or a second degree burn, fortunately. They're thermal burns. You can get scald burns where we talk about the trap that catches the fat. That falls on your skin and doesn't come off. It continues to burn. So A, it's avoid. A, it's prevent. Keep kids away from it. But what do you do with a burn? Um, I've seen people put butter on burns. I've seen people put avocado on burns. Um, in general, you want to run it under cool water. It doesn't have to be cold. And you want to stop the burn. That's first and foremost. And you want to put a cool cloth on it and go seek emergency care. Um, burns for us, especially in kids, they have smaller surface areas. So the areas that are super high risk for burns, and every burn really should be seen um, because sometimes they, they need extra than just normal you know, antibiotic ointment to get better. So burns that are concerning for us are on hands, Uh, Anything on the face, anything on the genitalia, anything on the feet, um, they're high risk. Um, So you want to be really seen quickly. And kind of going back to what I was saying, uh, all those are really great tips. Um, No one really thinks about that kind of stuff with burns. But the yard work, yard work. So summertime's here. Lots of us are outside. Lots of us need help with the yard work. So we ask our, our kids to assist with us a lot of times. When I say yard work items, you know, uh, it's lawn mowers. It's, and I can see your, your uh, cringing over there when I say that. And my hair stands on uh, end when I lawn hear mowers, lawn mowers. Uh, Weed whackers, there's hedge trimmers, there's uh, um, all those wonderful things. And we, depending on uh, how you were raised, you know, I was always helping my parents when I was really, really little. And it's just something we want to try to avoid for many reasons. Uh, I think about that iconic photo that I see in lots of my friends' 
libraries, you know, phone libraries that they have their uncle or their dad holding their child on the lawnmower, no helmet, nothing. And they're riding around having a really great time with that or like a four wheeler. And they think it's a great time, you know, on a cookout. And you hear so many stories of and if of it ending in a tragedy. And I'm sure you've seen the the end part of that. There's probably 10 cases that I've seen in my lifetime as a pediatric ER doctor. And there are many memories that I can get out of my head and there's some that I can't. And I had a lawnmower injury during fellowship that I can't ever get out of my head. It was a child that was, I think, eight or nine years old. He was riding on kind of sideways across the hill and he rolled a riding lawnmower. And it went on top of him and stopped on top of him. And it was devastating. He passed away and he had massive, massive injuries. And it was something that very easily could have been prevented. He was too young to be on that riding mower. Um, Parents were devastated. They didn't do it purposely, but they happen all the time. And they happen either hand injuries. And I would think about it in a couple of different ways. I would think about it as toddlers. Um, I recently had a toddler that grabbed onto uh, hedge trimmers. Um, totally mangled their hands. They were just kind of standing around watching and they grabbed and it can happen in an instant. And the other thing I've seen many times is underestimating tailpipe and how hot a tailpipe is or how hot an engine is. While dad's sitting in the garage working on fixing the lawnmower, a toddler walks up and grabs the tailpipe and they get really bad burns as a result of it. And they can happen really, really quickly. So it's important to think about, um, you know, what can happen with lawn equipment and how fast it can happen. And what are really good tips are one is if you're under 12, you should not be operating a push mower. If you're under 16, you should not be on a riding lawn mower. And typically by that age, you have a driver's license, you're a little more mature, you can handle it. The good thing is that lawnmower injuries have decreased um, secondary to manufacturer safety guidelines and mechanisms they've put in so you can't just push a ride or a push mower without holding on and kind of squeezing to keep the engine engaged i've definitely heard of children you know two brothers one holding that safety stop that you're talking about and the other one trying to clean out the blades and you know those kinds of things happen as well but going back to your tips i mean it happens every year and but that is a really good thing that the manufacturers have done to decrease it so it's not happening as much and there are less i've seen less over my career over time in the last 10 years than i did in the first 10 years of my career of lawnmower of backyard type injuries um, we see them from fire pits as well um, injuries every year um, typically we see them in toddlers where they've grabbed a piece of wood or we see adolescents, especially older adolescents that have been drinking. And we have a big joke in the, in the burn world is what's the last thing, what's the last thing that happens before you get burned? You say, hold my beer. (laughs) Um, And unfortunately we see a lot of, you know, obviously underage drinking, but they're around a bonfire. Um, So it's a lot of it's education, a lot of it's supervision. Um, You made a comment about ATVs and I've been fortunate to train and work in various areas of the country. And would you ever let your child on an ATV? 
if they were the right age, wearing a helmet. Well, what age is that? Right age, I think it's driving age. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's actually the guideline. Like that's kind of the same thing. Would I let my child into drive my car? You know, that's kind of saying like that. That's really the permission I'm giving them. Yeah. There's there's over 30,000 injuries in the U.S. every year from ATVs. And that's four wheelers, dirt bikes, three wheelers, yep. even the little tiny ones that you think are made for small children, but they're not. You know? I, I had a kid on a small one, as we talked about, in an urban area of a major city drive one of them into a tractor trailer. And we see kids on dirt bikes hit by cars all the time. And it goes back to a few things it goes back to setting rules, setting guidelines, not getting that ATV for a six year old. Um, I fully understand the need on farms and things like that because it's a different environment. Um, however, you know, as we've talked about, it's supervision, it's prevention. I want to mention something about you know going back to the lawn care and, and the tips and the safety that you mentioned. You know, some of the other things that we can do is just you know choose a different day to do yard work. Maybe have the you know when their kids are at your at their friend's house or like you know take turns you know, mom and dad take turns or think of some some way that they don't have to be uh, a part of the yard work. Also, sometimes, you know, dad might be mowing the grass 50 feet away, not thinking anything of it, but a rock ricochets into their child, you know, um, eye, wearing eye, eye protection or ear protection or, you know, just thinking about your surroundings and how far something can fly. And it's just great to the, the best idea is just to keep the kids in the house is really yeah, it. I agree 100%. Um, but the ATVs, I know I think that you had mentioned previously, you know, randomly that there are different laws around farms uh, of age requirements for kids operating uh, equipment or those. Even driving. Yeah, it's, those it's, driving. Yeah. Driving ages are 15 or 14 on farms. But we still saw injuries coming from ATVs on farms. Um, being flown to us at big children's hospitals as a result. So it's helmets are really important, as we talked about. Supervision is really important. And then using those age cutoffs, um, you wouldn't let your six-year-old get into a car. Why would you let him get into a riding lawnmower that's got 12-inch blades on the bottom of it? Um, it's a setup for disaster. And the next thing I want to mention, and we kind of briefed over this a little bit, is the the burns, sun sunscreen and sunburns, all of those things. Big safety tip here. Uh, there's lots of, you know, uh, summer camps going on. There's kids going over to friends' houses. There's pool time. There's even doing the yard work that we mentioned. Uh, a lot of that is sitting outside. A lot of that is unshaded protection, you know, and or no protection, just unshaded areas. And we don't realize how much sun exposure we're getting. And even I mentioned in daycare in previous podcasts that, you know, applying sunblock before you drop your child off to the daycare, same thing goes for summer camp. A lot of kids are in summer camp. Remembering to do that in the morning because the people that are arranging the the activities for that day at that camp or that daycare are not always going to, to do it right away. And they actually kind of tell you that, that they only apply it in the afternoon as a secondary coat, not the initial uh, protection. So it's really important to apply that sunblock, not just once, but continual uh, amounts. And 
that goes for going to the beach, especially if you're in the water and coming in and out and drying off, you're wiping away that protection. So you need to reapply sunblock. It's really, really important. And the thing that I think people don't really think about is, you know, especially parents is like, oh, they're younger, they're okay, they can handle it, or they just get tanned, it's not a problem. Really what happens is you don't see sun or skin damage from the sun until years later. Dermatologists can tell you that, that you don't see something until maybe 15 years later, 10 years later. You may not see that damage right away just from a mild sunburn, but continual sun exposure over time without protection can cause lots of problems, skin cancer. And although they're young, that should mean to wear even more protection, talking UV shirts or just covering them up in light clothing that doesn't really absorb the heat or the... uh, the uh, rays that much and keeping them cool hats sunblock um, you know the uv clothes and thinking about how much time you're spending in the sun if it's uv index a high uv index for the day think about how much time you're actually should spend in that sun and that kind of goes along with dehydration which is another thing that we want to talk about today and not realizing how much you're sweating because of it being so hot or maybe it's just not even humid and you don't even know how hot it is. But taking those breaks and knowing and understanding that you need to take some breaks from the sun, kind of catch your breath, drink some water, rehydrate yourself, and you don't even see sunburns. Sometimes it takes t- up to 24 hours for a sunburn to mature, so you don't even see it. And talking about specifically about sunscreen, the SPF, and you know, Dr. Chris, I kind of want to ask you what you think you know, the recommended SPF for a young child is? So I am not a dermatologist. I am a pediatrician and a pediatric ER physician, as you know. I would go by the American Academy of Dermatology. I still think, you know, their recommendations are a minimum of an SPS of 15. I still think that's very low. Um, You can get 50, you can get 70. I would go as high as you possibly can. at minimum 35, 40 or higher. And as you talked about, you know, you need to understand what a UV index is. I think people sometimes forget this and I do as well. It's very easy on a sunny day, you know, with no clouds to think, you know what, I'm gonna get a sunburn today. Um, Also keeping in mind that if you're on the beach, it reflects off the sand, it reflects off of water. You can get sunburn while you're underwater as well. So, it's magnified reflection absolutely so like that little area under your chin you don't think you're going to get sunburn there but it's actually can hit you from underneath as well people forget cloudy days can actually make it worse and too that's, and that's what i was getting at and there's literature that talks about 80 percent of the sun's uv rays can penetrate the skin even on a cloudy day and this is right from the american academy of dermatology and as i said their recommendations are SPF of at least 15 and reapplying at minimum every two hours and more often after swimming or sweating. So probably getting into that uh, 30-minute time frame. And other studies have shown that people tend to underestimate how much sunscreen they really need. We've all been on the beach and seen that guy or girl with the splotches of of red. burn all yeah. over the place because they put it just unevenly in, exactly they applied and, it unevenly or not in uh, a very thick amount and the american academy of dermatology recommends about one ounce for an entire body that's a, that's a lot 
and reapplying every 30 minutes. If you're you're sweating, you're doing an activity, you're you know out playing kickball at summer camp, um, you're playing baseball as an older child, um, and also like you talked about, using clothing that give you SPF protection as well um, and prevent from UV rays as well. You can certainly go buy them and you can find them. And especially, you know, think about you're going away for a vacation for a week to, you know, the the Jersey Shore, the beach. That is repeated damage over and over and over again. Um, I've been on vacations where I've been away a week and a half, two weeks. I'm tired of the sun. I don't even want to go near it. Um, I want to be in an air conditioner because it just, it's hot. And, you know, the other thing is if it's really hot out and you talked about dehydration, you talked about heat exposure, um, really trying to stay out of the sun between 10 and 2, 10 and 4, somewhere in that ballpark, staying in the shade. Uh, One of the things we didn't talk about was sunglasses. Um, Do you have sunglasses for your daughter? I have a lot of them. Well, that doesn't surprise me, but, you know, it's, you want them polarized. You want glasses that will block 90 to 100 percent of uva and uvb rays and they can call it you can get eye damage as well as skin damage it's really really important and um be careful that you are getting appropriate glasses and maybe spending a little bit more money on the glasses that will be polarized and really protect versus not i always kind of when i think about dressing myself or my child and uh going thinking about where I'm going, if I'm going to the beach versus I'm just going to the neighbor's pool for 30 minutes, I'm not going to dress her like a reverse winter suit, you know? I'm not going to put, you know, 30 layers of sun protection on her just to go in the pool for 30 minutes. I will at the beach. You know, there's so many more things to worry about there. And she's going to be out there a much longer period of time. The duration is totally different. And so, for instance, we were at the pool, you know, all day yesterday. And so I knew to wear, you know, sunblock under the shirt, put the shirt, the UV shirt on top, wear a hat, sunblock sometimes on their scalp. If your child doesn't have a lot of hair, we don't think about that. And uh, make sure I'm reapplying minimum every 30 minutes for me. I like to, especially when she's swimming, I have a minimum SPF of 50. Like I'm on it. How do you, how do you, you know, I, you do organization every day. How do you remember to do it every Remember to do the, oh, the, the sunblock. Yeah. Well, I'm a very fair skin person and I am also worried about myself. So I kind of have my own, well, I have a, an alarm on my phone and I also just, I can feel like I'm like, oh, I feel like I've been out here for a long time. And then I check my phone or I'm like, oh, okay, my alarm's going to go off in five minutes because I could start feeling just the heat getting to me. And I always have an alarm on my phone or somewhere near so that I can hear it and I reapply. So that's a really good thing. Um, and I'm glad you asked. Yeah, I love using the alarms on my phone a lot because it really helps remember we're having a lot of fun in the pool. You don't always remember the to go and reapply sunblock where you're like, oh, five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes. And then it turns into two hours. Your sunblock has worn off. And now you're developing a sunburn on your legs in the pool because that's the area that majority of it has come off on. So sometimes I see people, their legs start getting tanner than their their upper body because their upper body has been more protected than their legs being in the pool or the ocean, especially the ocean because there's tiny sand particulates or sand particles that are rubbing on us in the water as you're swimming. So it's pulling the sunblock off more than just in a pool. 
So one, of, I would agree 100%. I think that one of the things that's really important to remember, and you touched on it earlier, is the damage you get as a child puts you at risk later in life for melanomas, for basal cell carcinomas, for skin cancers that will, can potentially hurt you badly. Um, so the reason the American Academy of Dermatology recommends the SPF is to prevent it. It causes wrinkles as well. It causes dry, leathery skin. Lots things, of other aging things. Things you don't want to have later in life. And we, you know, my mother, you know, I heard stories of my mother taking Crisco and oiling herself. They used up. to put a stencil with their boyfriend's name on to get a to get a burn. That's so and, funny. And you know, you see pictures in movies of people using mirrors to get their face tanner. Um, more and more research has become available that burns younger in life lead to problems later in life, whether that be skin cancer or just you know cosmetic issues. So something you can do very easily to protect your kids at a very young age. And you know, let's talk a little bit about babies. And you can put sunscreen on babies. Um, some people are afraid to do it. Babies in general shouldn't be out in that sun like an older child. You should avoid it as much as possible. Direct sun, definitely. And they need hats. They need to be in their stroller covered. Um, and But they can have sunscreen. You want to be careful around their face, but it's not going to hurt them. Um, it's something that I've heard parents ask me frequently, can I use sunscreen in, in a young child? I wouldn't put it on a two-month-old, but if you're out with a four or five-month-old and I've been to pools where there are young babies there and you know, have them out briefly, introduce them to the water, put some sunscreen on them, and then really keep them protected because their skin is more fair and more likely to get burned. And going back to this point that I mentioned, um, not to derail, but the, the dehydration thing is such a big thing. Um, and I know, Dr. Chris, you've mentioned this about babies. You know, uh, parents are really scared that their young children are um, might be dehydrating. But uh, I'm going to skip over that and let you and mention. Don't, don't give babies water, please. I, <laughs> I was just about to say, I'll let you mention about that. Um, we'll come back to it. But my, before I lose my thought, I, you know, I make sure that my daughter is is staying hydrated by at least taking breaks every 10 to 15 minutes, especially if it's super hot. Uh, if we're playing an activity, you know, they're playing volleyball, we're sweating, we're we are losing water through our in, from our body quickly in a hot day. So we want to make sure that we are replenishing that. And that's not just water, but your electrolytes as well. Don't you agree, Dr. Chris? I, yeah, I, I agree 100%. And, you know, that's maybe some mild Gatorade, you know, some Pedialyte, something, right? Just not too much sugar, but just making sure they're getting some of that electrolyte back into them. And the hydration part of it, the water, you know, maybe a little bit of juice, something that is going to keep them interested in drinking more throughout the day. Make sure they're urinating. Make sure they're going to the bathroom because once you start getting dehydrated, things start getting, you know, backed up, you're not as hungry, things like that, and you're not digesting as well or as fast, and, you know, everyone gets cranky. So what do you think, going back to what your, uh, the baby and the dehydration uh, and babies not drinking water, I know you're dying to say this. No, we've said it a bunch of times. You don't want to give what we call free water, just water. They get everything they need either from being breastfed or being bottle fed, you know, at least until six, seven months. Uh, we get kids that get excess water, especially when it's hot. Um, they'll get, you know, eight ounce bottles of water and they can have low sodium and have seizures as a result. Um, I think one of the things I also want to touch on is athletes and 
conditioning and being, you know, we have athletes that go out every, these teenagers that go and they train for football, they train for soccer. Middle of August is usually when it starts. And many of these kids have not fully conditioned during the summer and they come in with lots of issues. They come in with dehydration. They come in with something called rhabdomyolysis where they have muscle breakdown from dehydration as well. But as we're talking about dehydration, you don't want to get behind. And you really, especially as an athlete, and it goes the same for younger children, is you want to hydrate them before you hit the heat. So getting them to drink an hour or two before they go out and then keeping up every 15 to 20 minutes like you do and you recommend it as well is really, really important. That's going to prevent a lot of problems. Well, then I have a question for you. What happens when there's excessive heat exposure, when you're not preparing like you said? Yeah, these I mean, are the, uh, on top of the things that I mentioned. These are the times where you go on your television. They, you know, there's the big banner coming across that says that in bright red, red banner. Yeah, it says heat, heat warning, heat, you know, heat advisory. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important for parents just to be able to identify it. And there's a couple, right? First is heat exhaustion, and we've probably almost all almost been there. And it's really a precursor to what's called heat stroke. And what happens with heat exhaustion? It's like you've worked out for hours and hours and hours on end, and you get heavy sweating, you get rapid breathing, you're getting warm, your temperature's starting to rise internally, and you get a fast heart rate that tends to be on the weaker side. So if you start to see that in your kids, what do you do? Hydrate and get them out of the sun, get them in a cool environment as fast as you possibly can. The next level that you progress to is heat stroke. And this is defined by a body temperature of higher than 104 degrees Fahrenheit or 40 degrees centigrade. It's scary. And your body starts to shut down at 104 degrees and you can have death at 107 degrees. And we're gonna talk about car safety and being in a, in a heated car in a few minutes. But really what happens in your higher risk as a child, you heat up three to five times faster as a child. And what happens with this is you stop sweating. You have dry skin, and that's what parents can look out for. And hopefully they don't get here and they've picked it up. You have this heavy sweating. You just don't look good. Um, you also get altered mental status. You start to become dizzy. Kids won't talk correctly. These kids need to be cooled aggressively. You're going to get cold towels. You're going to get ice. You're going to get them out of that environment as fast as you can. Take their clothes off, wet their clothes, um, do everything you can. And if you have signs of heat stroke, you need to call 911 um, immediately because these children can have massive problems very, very quickly. All of that is so amazing. And it, for us to know that those those things to look out for, those signs and how rapidly things can uh accelerate you know especially in children's bodies like how quickly they can feel the heat more than we are what more than we do and that's also something i want to mention like kids are playing hide and seek in the heat too they're playing games with each other they're they might be i don't know climbing the attic they might go into uh hide in, in a car they might do something where they don't think that maybe they'll get trapped or maybe they feel dizzy and they pass out and then no one knows that they're there uh, and then when you do find them, it could be a tragedy. Yeah, so absolutely. teaching your children to stay out of areas, again, it comes back to that supervision, making sure that they're, you know, you keep an eye on them and what they're doing and what they're up to and counting heads. If there's six kids at a party, make sure there's constantly six heads all around you. Um, and, and, and educating ahead of time. 
that as well and, and telling them if it feels time. hot you need to come here come and hydrate put lots of water around them make them carry something um and then of course we're going back to the obvious which we hear about so frequently our car deaths yeah. overheating in a car parent forgot about their child in the back seat um dr chris you want to add on that yeah, I think it's important to understand that it happens more frequently than we realize. And the statistics for me are just scary. Since 1998, 900 children have died from vehicular heat stroke. And that's an average of about 38 to 50 a year. And really, if you think about it, let's talk about what are the causes. Right, so you just talked about kids crawling into areas and enclosed spaces. That that occurs about twenty five percent of the time. Fifty four percent of the time, a parent has forgotten and left a child in a vehicle. And I just unfortunately heard about a sad case that happened um, somewhere in the south over the last couple of days. And you know, twenty percent of the time, it's knowingly left a child there. And it's important to understand that even when it's seventy five degrees your vehicle can triple, double in temperature in 20 minutes. Um, it's a problem and you can't leave your children child in a car and it's not good enough to crack a window and say, I'm gonna run into a convenience store for 10 minutes. Um, you can double the temperature, a kid can be very, very sick. Um, I unfortunately had a kid once who um, came in, we tried to resuscitate and we couldn't get the child back. Um, the mother was unfortunately using opioids and she had driven to an area, an urban area. Um, she had overdosed in the front seat with the windows up. The car had run out of gasoline, and there was a child in the back seat that was four months old. And the child came in with 109 temperature rectally, and there was nothing we could do. So, you know, that's kind of knowingly doing something. But as we talked about, 54%. And that number is scary from my perspective, and we're all human and no one's perfect. I know. You're probably thinking, everybody, how can you possibly forget your child in the back seat, in the front seat, forget them, period, in a car? I would say, you know, we all have a visceral reaction to that, but I'd like to look at it in a, in a positive way. And hopefully we're raising awareness to this. And yes. maybe one, it'll prevent one person. And also giving tips of how to prevent it. And that is really getting into a routine. Um, you, I mean, hold on one second. You you mentioned that, you know, people forget, oh, I'm going to run into the store really quick, right? Uh, the same thing goes, I heard, you know, last summer, uh, someone uh, was a dad letting their child finish a nap in the car. They're like, oh, I don't want to wake them up and left them in the car. And then you don't realize how hot it gets. Luckily, he came back, but the kid was screaming and really, really hot, sweating. And it was so scary when I heard this story. And you think like, why would you do that, right? But you don't think about, I don't think he thought about how quickly the temperature rises. No, and, and it can happen in the spring. Or it maybe can, he did, I don't know, right? I don't know that. It can happen in the there. spring. Can, we've all gotten into cars where we've gotten burned sitting down. Oh my gosh, yeah, I can't, you know, girls with their short shorts, you know, we can't sit down on leather seats in the summertime. Uh, I don't know if guys understand that, but we yeah. have trouble, dresses, short shorts, and we It burns the back hurt. of our legs too. <laughs> and and these things, yeah. So you were you were mentioning before I interrupted about things that we can do to remember our children in the backseat. Prevention. It's it's basically making sure you stick to a routine. It's also not being distracted. And as we've talked about before, there are distractions everywhere. 
You know, we phone goes off, you get a call from work and, oh, I, I left my child on the backseat of the car for 40 minutes and now you have a tragedy. And avoid those distractions really to reduce the risk of forgetting. Um, place a purse, a briefcase, even one of your shoes in the back seat to force you to take a look um, every time you get out of the car and walking away. Um, you know, keep the doors locked on your car so kids can't get in. Those are the kids that are crawling into enclosed spaces. And, you know, as I said, it's it, there's no safe amount of time to leave your child in a vehicle. Even if you're just running a quick errand, it's not appropriate to leave a window cracked, um, partially down. You wouldn't do that to an animal, let alone your child. And it's important to not do it to animals either. And also, if someone walks by and sees a child in a vehicle, they are to, going to report you. And I think it also should bring awareness to other people that if you do see a child in the backseat of a car... Take action. Take action. Immediately. Call the police. Break um, a window. Do it anything that you can to make sure that that child is safe. I hear people doing that with animals as well, that the, it's a big, it's a, um, it's a very big important thing when it comes to animals as well, leaving yeah. them in the car, not thinking about the temperature and people do break windows to save them and then animal protection agencies come and have a talking to with that person. I, I think in this day and age with what's going on in our world, I think the best bet is honestly call 911 um, as long as the child's conscious and you can tell, um, I think that, you know, it could get very dicey to break a window. It know, can. And, you know, it's it's a very bold move. So I'm not sure I would recommend it. Um, I'm definitely not recommending it. I guess I should take that back. I'm definitely not recommending it. I'm saying I would definitely, if I'm passing by, I'm definitely taking action. I'm thinking this could be, you know, yeah. this. what if this was my child? Yeah, so again, I don't, good thing you mentioned that. I don't recommend it, but I'm also saying I definitely would do it. Take an action of some sort. You definitely have to take an action. And as we're talking more and more about safety prevention in summer and the big one we haven't, we haven't hit yet. And I know you guys are probably thinking about it. And, um, and we're definitely going to get there. We really wanted to save this one for the, uh, for the last, last bit of our podcast and the reason being is because I would say it's it's the most important and that's drowning. Each year more than 800 children ages 14 and under die as a result of accidental drowning. And that's an additional on top of an average of 3600 children that are injured in near drowning accidents. Yeah, it's scary. That and, is so high. And it if you look at those numbers um, drowning deaths increase 89% between May and August, and we're in July. Yep. And every summer as pediatric ear doctors, we look at the numbers start to rise. And I've already had a drowning this summer. I've had a near drowning this summer, actually two near drownings this summer. And there was a common theme. And the common theme was that the child was left unsupervised. And they found the kid at the bottom of the pool, or kids at the bottom of the pool, unfortunately. I mean, I again, I said I was at the pool recently, and I'm there, you know, with my daughter having fun. And I see these kids come up to me and start playing with her. And my first reaction is, where are your parents, right? Um, they either did not have swimmies on or any kind of floating device, life jacket, or they did. And then they took them off. Um, and they've been playing, you know, with my child for a while. And I just kind of do the glance around, just try to see where they're looking, maybe making eye contact with their parents. I'm also concerned about them hydrating. I'm just thinking all these things. And, um, you know, this, 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 this little girl, I noticed 
her parents weren't anywhere to be seen. And I finally kind of ask her, where are your mommy and daddy? You know, I just want to make sure that you didn't lose them. And um, she says, oh, they're over there. And she goes and it was almost like a whole block away. And they're behind chairs, behind the corner of the building. You could not even see them. And I was very concerned because it's not even one of those, oh, I'll sit in a chair and watch you five feet from me while you're in the pool. It was they had no idea. They, they were like, oh, yeah, she's fine. Was this a pool with lifeguards? This was a pool with lifeguards. Wait. Now, that doesn't mean anything because even then, they're not the life perfect. goals, they're not, perfect. they're not perfect. And they don't see it because there's a lot of splashing going on. There's a lot of kids that are pretending they're playing. And they don't see it and they miss it. And it only takes a few minutes for it to be over entirely for that child. And, you know, it just makes me very concerned. I'm always that type to be in the pool with her actively, regardless if I'm tired, if I'm just not feeling in the mood. I want to be there with her, at least being within 10 feet of her so she knows that I can see her. She, I can, You know, she can see me. And making sure other kids are not sitting on her, not I've seen a lot of kids that were trying to play fetch and running into her, like 11, 11, 10-year-old kids. And I was very angry because their parents weren't watching even them being aggressive around very young kids in like the little baby area. Well, they get injured and that's how they, they fall under the water and they drown by getting hit. They get hit and no one sees them. And like, you know, you have like a three-year-old kid walking by that just gets hit in the head with a little uh, football and you just don't know. And all these things need to be watched for. Be, pay attention to them. So again, not paying attention to your child, unsupervision. I hear so many cases where, oh, well, my cousin's watching my kid. I'm like, okay, well, where's your cousin? Oh, I don't know. Does your cousin know that they're supposed to be watching your child? Like even half the time, someone just assumes, like at a family event, a cookout, people assume that all the rest of the family will watch your child or take care of it. And not to say that they wouldn't, but that's how a lot of accidents happen is assumption and just not paying attention and people drinking, I, all I think, those things. I think there's a couple different animals and one is a pool that's your own or a home pool. There's certainly supervised lifeguarded pools, which decrease the risk a little bit. Um, they're not perfect. And then there's the ocean and there's rivers and there's various other things with different ages. And, you know, if you think about the most common age group to drown, it's age one to four years of age. And then it kind of starts to increase again with what I'll call not real safe activity or super adventurous or activity where they're taking risks in adolescence. And then you have substances involved, alcohol, drugs, things like that. That's when you, you know, you have this really strong 18 year old who's, I'm going to go out and swim deep in the ocean and they drown because they can't handle it. Um, so it's kind of biphasic. Um, I think that you really hit on a few things that are really important. One is that supervision. You can't ever, ever let them, even if they're a confident swimmer, be by themselves. They need to be eyeballed at all times. They need to be in a place where you can see them. I mean, heck, I've seen people take naps while their kids were in the pool, very young age, and then playing on playgrounds intermittently. Yeah, and, and I, again, I would not assume that a teenager that's an older child or even a relative, a it will be watching. Um, even if they are doing that, talk to them about using their cell phones and being distracted. It's the same concept of leaving a car in the backseat. You know, phone rings, they're texting, they're looking at Snapchat. The next thing you know, a child's under the water. Um, so they really, you, you want to supervise differently that. And you talked a little bit about flotation devices. And certainly they're a good assistance. 
Um, but literature has shown that inflatable floaties, other flotation devo- devices, toys, um, really give kids a false sense of security and don't prevent drowning. Um, they can help, but they're not going to save a life. And it goes back to that supervision over and over again. I think the other thing that people forget is learning CPR is really, really important. So if it does happen, and I had a drowning recently where there happened to be a physician close by, and the child was pulled out of the water, and very good CPR was started. It was continued throughout, and the child did very well. And that's the difference between surviving and not surviving with a drowning. Uh, Some of the other things that are really, really important is think about your, if you have a pool at home, make sure you have barriers around all of the pool, all four sides, and you have door locks, you have door alarms. They're actually supposed to be required if you have a pool. I I have a friend who has them who- And they turn them off. An educated professional. He's like, the batteries died. And thanks for being, we were talking about something I had seen at work. It's like, thanks for reminding me to check the batteries. Um, So- you know, the other thing that some people think is that they think drownings are loud, that people are going to make lots of noise, they're going to splash, they're going to scream. Many times they can be silent. So don't assume that you're going to hear anything with the drowning. Um, it, it can happen and it can be silent in minutes. Yeah, all of that is, yeah, those are all really great tips. I've, I've even heard of people going to water parks and leaving their kid in an indoor water park or just taking a break and going out to their car to get something and you're assuming that lifeguard is going to watch your child. Well, there's a hundred other kids, so they're doing the same, you know, playing in the water, doing the same thing. And it's it's just so sad. Really, it comes down to supervision and really just just please be with your kids. If there's a pool, you have a pool in your backyard, like it is so much more likely of a drowning happening if you have one in your backyard, but it doesn't have to happen that way. Yeah, agreed. I, I've seen unfortunately a few children that have been either near drownings or drownings that have been on school trips and never never been in a pool before, never even been exposed, don't know how to swim, and next thing you know, they're in a wave pool you know, at one of these big water parks, and they fall under a wave, they can't get up, they can't swim, and it's a drowning. So thinking about all of the different circumstances as you try to prevent your child from having an injury or an illness is really, really important. I've even seen somebody who, a parent who didn't know how to swim, host a pool party. And you think, well, why would you do that? Um, it happens. So I, th- I you know, encourage your kid to get used to the water early on and be with them. Give them swim lessons. Uh, put them in an environment where they feel comfortable, you know, knowing how to get out of the pool or looking for like some place to hold on to, uh, you know, practice with them at a young age and start that. I agree 100%. We've talked about a lot of different issues, and many of these issues are really scary. It's a parent's worst nightmare. And we really thought thought that it was important as we transition into the heart of the summer to begin to talk about them. And it's something that you can take these, you can create a checklist, you can educate your children, you can supervise them appropriately, and it will prevent tragedies that we see in the emergency department all the time. Azure added lots of organizational and... The, che- the checklist. Going back to the checklist. I love the checklist. You forget less. Bring the sunblock. Making sure you're hydration, hydrating with those alarms. Those are all of like the checklist, internal checklist, and the reminders, the organizational aspects around all of that. 
yeah, I, it's, it's amazing to think about it that way. And that's something like we do in medicine. It's a checklist are, are great. Put it posted on your refrigerator and have the kids look at it and really stick by it. Educating them, educa- educating your partner, educating your family members, you know, create rules, systems. So I think tonight one of the things that's really important is we want everyone to have an amazing, happy, healthy summer. Uh, we want to thank everyone for listening. Um, if you are interested in learning more, go to www.bloomworldwellness.com. We have classes for parents um, about safety. We have about pretty much every um, topic that you would want for your child. Additionally, we do private parent coaching as well is available. And that is both myself and Azure one-on-one. Um, if you have an interest in that, please direct message us or email us at info at blowworldwellness.com. I hope everyone has a wonderful summer and keep your kids safe. Absolutely. Thank you for listening, guys. Have a great rest of your day. And until next time. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for joining our mom and doc talk. Did any questions come up while you were listening? Share your questions with Dr. Christopher and Azure by visiting www.blueemeraldwellness.com. You can also connect with them on Instagram at WeAreKidsHealthSecrets. Don't forget to rate the show on iTunes or Spotify so we can continue answering your most pressing kids' health and parenting questions. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode of Mom and Doc Talk. The content of this podcast, the opinions and information provided by the co-host and guests are for educational purposes only and should not replace the care provided by your child's physician. If you or your child is ill or having an emergency, please call 911 or seek care immediately.